Welcome to GCD Transmissions, the podcast of Central St. Martin's Graphic Communication Design Program. I'm Peter Hall, your host, and I'm joined today in the studio by David Crow. Hi. Hi, David. Thanks so Hello. much for coming in. David has a very interesting background as a practitioner, as a theorist, as an academic, and now a leading role in the university. David, could you give us a quick snapshot of uh, how you got to where you are? Oh, a quick snapshot is I, I worked initially in London, actually, um, for a company called Assorted Images for a few years. I ended up in a record company as an art director, had my own freelance practice, got sucked slowly into teaching, as you do, associate lecturer, you'd call it these days, and then kind of ended up having to make that decision that many people have to make about do I do one thing or the other, because it's actually very difficult to do both. Ended up in teaching, must have done okay, ended up in management, and um, I'm now, well, I was dean at Manchester School of Art, and now I'm um, PVC and head of colleges at Chelsea, Camberwell, Wimbledon. In your days as, um, just I'm curious, in your days working at Assorted Images, did you come across Jamie Reid? Yeah, Jamie had a studio next door. Yeah, so we were in the same block, in the same building. Um, and one of the great things actually about that studio was that it had a, we were surrounded by a sort of ecology of different sort of people. So we had Jamie who had a studio next door. We had some illustrators next door. We had a recording studio downstairs. We had a rubberware fetish maker next door as well. And we had a screen printer on the ground floor, so it was a, it was a very kind of varied space. Yeah, it's good. And this is the heyday of, uh, well, I don't know if it's the heyday, but it's a sort of post-punk heyday, correct? Because Jamie's known for Sex Pistols' work. Malcolm Garrett of Assorted Image is known for work for the Buzzcocks and uh, many other music-related things. Is that? Yeah, I think that's that's about right. Um, it was, I guess, 1985. So yeah, post-punk and. Um, we were doing a lot of music related stuff that came to Malcolm's agency through through his work in, in the punk area. And Jamie was making paintings at that point. And he was he was exhibiting in galleries, actually. He'd moved from graphics into a fine art world, which is quite an interesting step. He was the first person who introduced me to the situationists here. He, I met him and he said, Have you ever heard of the situationists? Yeah, he did the same to me. <laughs> Gave me lots of little booklets, yeah, right. and sent me to a place in Oldgate East where they sell anarchist pamphlets, yes. <laughs> and he was a druid too, correct? Yeah, he was a really interesting guy, yeah. actually. I, I had a lot of time for Jamie. I don't know where he is these days, actually. So you, um, I'm presuming that your books, Visible Language and Left to Right, came in part inspired by your teaching experience? Yeah, that's right. I I, I was teaching graphic design at that point in Liverpool, actually. I was... Uh, a graphics and illustration course and trying to handle some of the sort of basic bits of theory in in the classroom if you like in the studio rather than in the lecture theater and found it difficult to find examples that I could show to students that brought that stuff together so I ended up sending them to different parts of the library so I could go to the third floor for a book on this and go to the ground floor and find some visual examples and see if you can make the connection yourself so, yeah, I just thought, I'd, you know, I'd spent a lot of time putting material together. I might as well write that up as a book. And must have hit a nerve because it's now in its third edition. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's in its third edition. I don't know how many years it's been running now. And it's, it's published in China, Korea. It's in German. It's published in the States. It's Bloomsbury now. So it's obviously 
been useful to people, which is brilliant, really. And the way it was formatted was deliberate so that I could update the visual examples and just kind of leave that that basic classic theory pretty much as it was, but show new visuals to kind of illustrate that. And it seems to have worked as a as a model. Yeah, I'm really pleased with it. And that's how you taught it in the studio with lots of, was that the key, lots of visual examples? Yeah, I think the, the point for me was to try and get students to understand that this stuff didn't sit separate from their practice, that actually if we just had hold of some of the rudiments of that stuff, we could use it in the studio a bit just to interrogate maybe why things aren't working the way they thought they were working, just to try to describe it to them as a sort of adjustable spanner that you could put around a problem, loosen it up and try and figure out why, why is this poster not working? Why is this communication not working? Maybe you've done this, maybe you've done that, maybe you've got too many signs in there, maybe you're confusing people. Um, so used it in that sense, yeah. There's another aspect to it which I stumbled across when I was looking into citations of visible signs of visible language. And um, it was a doctoral thesis on masculinity written in Finland. And it started with, um, I was going to show you a picture, but it's probably inadequate for audio-only interview. But uh, it was an underwear ad for men. And the book cited your point, or the doctoral thesis cited your point, that the meaning of an image shifts not just um, as the image changes, as the medium changes, um, which uh, was a nice point to make. But the, uh, it struck me also that um, this was a, a discussion about American ideals of masculinity being imported into Finland. And so there's an aspect of, of semiotics, which is to do with becoming aware of what stereotypes you're perpetuating as a designer. Is that a difficult thing to draw students' attention to without kind of ruining their um, professional careers? Um, no, but I think it's an important thing to draw their attention to. There is a kind of heritage of stereotype, isn't there, which could be quite useful, actually. You can use that in some ways. That's a tool to kind of prod things with. But I think it's important that they understand there's a sort of underlying political and social responsibility in communication design, actually. I think, it, actually, I think students are much more aware of it now than they were when I started teaching, if I'm honest. I don't think it was something that was talked about very much, the ethics of graphics. Uh, and then it's, it's also something they're bound to encounter in their professional life. So you, you, I'm sure they'll have the moment I had where you're kind of partway through your career and you kind of realize that actually a lot of what you're doing is, you know, it's kind of consumption based. It's got a middle class audience. It's kind of not why you went to art school in the first place. And you have to kind of take some decisions about what you want to do about that. And or, or, or maybe just come to terms with that, you know, that, that part of part of the machine is is that and you're in part you're in that big machine. So understanding that's there. So when you hit those moments, I, I actually it's interesting you mentioned Malcolm. I had a, I'm sure he won't mind me telling you, we had a kind of moment when I was a young designer there where I wouldn't work for one of the clients, and he was pretty good about it actually. And it's only when I when I was a bit older really and look back on it, I think actually lots of lots of art directors wouldn't have put up with that. But he said, okay, I, I get it. Okay, you can move away from that client. We'll get somebody else to do that, and he was very accommodating about it. Uh, but lots of studios wouldn't have been. Yeah, so he he respected your 
ongoing kind of research interest or your political? Well, at that stage, it wasn't even a research interest. I was a kind of young designer with a kind of personal politics that made it difficult for me to to work for a particular client because of what was going on in that industry at the time. Uh, There's two of us actually who wouldn't do it and uh, yeah, he was fine about it. And he explained why he felt we ought to do it. So, you know, it, it created a debate in the studio, which was great. Yeah, quite productive. Yeah. There's an, there's a, in your other book, Left to Right, there's an interesting subtext about um, gender and print. And um, you talk about citing a study by Leonard Sh- Schlein that, there, there was a, a kind of rise of witch hunts and misogyny that accompanied the rise of the printing press. And the suggestion is that as we've moved to more of an image culture, we may have um, been tackling a legacy of uh, misogyny or patriarchy. Is that a, a fair reading of... Uh... Well, it's a fair reading of Leonard Schlein, yeah. And I, I thought it was interesting enough to mention. that There's also, he, he makes a point that he feels that um, that move from left to right is is something that favours a kind of female way of seeing things, which he would describe as a much more kind of holistic and a kind of sensual way of understanding the world, whereas the, the sort of alphabetic, mechanistic, formula-driven left-hand side of the brain, he would say is much more kind of male. So there is a sense in there that there's a, there's a gender shift as well as a shift towards the images and um, and that perhaps our sensibilities are helping to pull it in that direction. With the, your new role as, or your current role um, in UAL as PVC, um, you're sort of tasked with uh, the larger problems of uh, design education and graphic design education. Um, how do you see those problems present and, and what should we be thinking about in terms of uh, the usefulness of a, a degree in graphic communication design? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that, actually. We had uh, recently had teams of uh, academic staff from the three colleges trying to map out the territory that they were dealing with and map out the territory that their students were heading into, quite literally on huge sheets of paper. And I found it really interesting because the part of it, the part of that map that I remember from being a student was a kind of small corner uh, that was kind of based around editorial publications and typography. And and actually, it was only a very small part of the map anymore. Um, so they were dealing with students who were off into um, kind of human behavioral things, who are, obviously the whole digital revolution has happened. It's taken them in different directions. So they, the map of the practice is enormous. But actually, I'm I'm still quite taken by the idea that there is a core practice in there, that there is a discipline that gets bigger or shifts in some ways, but you kind of know where you're anchored back to. Um, and when I've spoken to people in London recently around what they're looking for from graduates, they they often cite some of that core stuff. There's Obviously, there's the thinking, there's the ideas, but they're still very interested in the craft of that practice. And they worry, actually, a little that some of that's disappearing. So there's a place for all of it, I think. I don't know. The word graphic design feels almost inadequate to describe the breadth of what's going on there, but people understand it, and uh, certainly they understand it as a craft. It feels, though, that there are, yeah, there are kind of forks in the road for graduates now. If they, there's a kind of craft practice thing, but there's also this other kind of strategic thinking kind of direction. Mm-hmm. 
And one thing I think is beginning to happen is that the in terms of salary, kudos, opportunity, the creative strategic thinking end of thing is really taking off. Whereas the craft practice thing seems to take some of them into an area that's very hard to go and step out of. Um, so I think that's something that the, they need to be aware of actually about the breadth of their practice. If they take it up that particular direction, I think it's very hard to reverse back and go in the other one. Yeah. It's such a topical theme as we're planning units and within within a course and trying to work out how to accommodate a student that wants to become a kind of craft specialist, but then uh, also a student that would like to move into strategy and needs yeah. to know a little bit about everything. Yeah. It's it's a real challenge. and it, oh, It's a team activity, isn't it, graphic design? Now. It is, yeah. yeah. When it, and what's tricky, again, there is if it is a team activity, how much time should we be spending on learning how to work in teams and team dynamics and team roles, a uh, whole area which yeah. sort of touches on organizational culture and management? Well, there's probably lots of views on that, but m mine's is that more than we do is the answer. Um, I don't think we put people in teams and then cross our fingers. I think being in a team is something that you need to sort of rehearse, practice, reflect on. And it should be something that's very much embedded, I think, in the curriculum. I hope we can do that at our lovely three colleges. Yes. Um, because it's it's some it's the skill that that employers always say is one of the key skills. They have to be able to work in a team and they have to be able to adapt. They'll be in lots of different teams all the time. Uh, so they have to adapt their role in that team as well, which, you know, is quite is from the background I came from that would have been difficult for us in small we had a class of 15 we all thought we were independent authors you know people really didn't collaborate even in tiny class like that so it's something I think you have to rehearse you have to you have to be taught how that works and the other uh, interesting dialectic is that between um, teach me what I need to know versus I want to become a specialist in, say, Max MSP or this particular platform, this software, this um, area, and you can't possibly know all I need to know. So as um, sort of people in roles of organizing things in art and design colleges, is our task more about kind of creating a stage than um, a tour? I'd say so. I think it's about creating the conditions where they can learn what they need to learn rather than a, a tour of every piece of software and every piece of craft practice. I think that's exactly right. And if possible, some exposure to something real so that they understand how that works after, after college. But I, I think that the, the main currency is always going to be ideas, your ability to kind of think things through. And that's going to be valuable wherever you end up. But this thing about, I don't know, coding, software, what I tend to hear is that that's something that can be learned afterwards and what employers or graduates who want to bring people in to help them are looking for are, are a kind of an attitude, an attitude to work and an, an approach to work and a, and a sort of fresh approach to problem solving. That's the thing that's kind of key, really. So if um, you were addressing a student debating on whether they should go to university to study graphic design or, or not, um, what would you say? What's the reason for going? I remember uh, I spoke to it was a film student actually in my last um, university who said that they're really pleased they did the degree because it 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 gave them the network they needed to practice. 
So it wasn't so much about the award, although that's kind of useful. It was about the exposure to other people, to other ideas, and, and generating a network of friends that you will, you will still probably work with in five years' time. Hmm. So I think it's still a very valid thing to do. Yeah. I would say that, of yeah. course, wouldn't I? Of course you would. <laughs> and as, as um, an educator and a manager, uh, do you still pursue um, a practice of experimentation? And Recently, not as much as I, I would like to. Little bits, yes. So I get um, what I have to try and do is find projects that are time limited and usually uh, involve some kind of team element. So it's not all down to me. Writing and and designing books is kind of good because it has it's very time limited. It has really strict deadlines. You have editors who guide you through it. So it's you kind of manage through that process, but it is quite time consuming. Um, so yes, I do, I do try, and um, I would just I'd like to do some more, obviously. But every educator will tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was there was a side of left to right which um, uh, sort of suggested that it was talking about what you'd done in the past in terms of non-verbal or non-textual forms of uh, graphic representation and communication. That um, where you were able to look at things like Frutiger in the past and uh, previous experiments in this area toward the work that you'd been doing uh recently um does that is that part of your kind of future area yeah of i guess that's just part of being an academic isn't it that's one of the other great things about doing a course and not doing this at home is you get exposed to things that and you'll get the time to reflect on actually where those ideas came from i think one of the the dangers always of doing this in a very unguided and unstructured way is that you will see the surface of things. You will see what things look like. You'll see the the form, but you won't understand the context that that's come from. So you don't really fully understand the message. So, yes, I, I, I'm very interested in kind of historic looking back and trying to collide things together from the past and, and the future or the present and the past. Um, and actually, lots of that stuff is already there. You can find it. You can find it in the past, usually. But you've just, you've got a new representation of it now. Mm. Uh, thanks so much for your time today. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing you speak more. Pleasure. Thanks. thanks for having me. This has been GCD Transmissions with David Crow, University of the Arts London's Pro Vice Chancellor and Head of Colleges for Camberwell, Chelsea and Wimbledon Colleges of Arts. GCD Transmissions is a podcast from the Graphic Communication Design Programme at Central St. Martins, hosted by Peter Hall and produced by Tommaso Russo. Additional support provided by Kate Pellon, Pierre-Emmanuel Lemaire and Lou Vormitag. Thanks for listening. <laughs>